The views expressed on this podcast are those of the participants, not of Reuters News. Welcome to The Views Room, a podcast from Reuters Breaking Views. I'm Jeff Goldfarb in Hong Kong. I am joined in the studio by my colleague Robin Mack. And dialing in from elsewhere in Hong Kong is my colleague Alec McFarlane. Dialing in has become part of the vernacular here in uh, Hong Kong. While the real disaster from the uh, coronavirus continues to be in mainland China, where most of the nearly 78,000 cases have been diagnosed and some 2,700 deaths have uh, occurred, Hong Kong has really been hit as well as it tries to contain the virus. We've, uh, we've all been working from home for over a month. Schools have been closed originally for two weeks, then to a month, and we just learned today on uh, Tuesday, February 25th, that schools will be closed until after Easter. Yay. <laughs> um, anyway, what's it been like for you, Robin? I mean, it, you know, you've, you've lived in Hong Kong a long time. This is probably the most time you've spent in your apartment. <laughs> um, how, I mean, what's it, just, what's, it just, what's it felt like? I mean, it's it's interesting because I was here for a little bit uh, during 2003 when SARS broke out. And back then it was quite terrifying because no one really knew what was happening. This time, I have to say we're all terrified, but probably because there's just too much information. So that's one of the biggest things this time is that it's just an information overload on WhatsApp, on, you know, Facebook. The government is constantly posting updates. So everyone is just so on edge and inundated with all sorts of news, fake or not. And that's really just, you know, for better or for worse, that's sort of like the thing that struck me the most is that I'm constantly glued to, you know, all my WhatsApp groups right now. Now, you're also recently engaged to be married. So you're getting a crash course and sort of confined living. How has that how has that gone? Is is your fiance working from home as well? Yeah, so I mean if you ever want to see how compatible you are with your partner, I can't <laughs> I can't recommend self-quarantine and working from home for a month enough. <laughs> and Alec, uh, oddly enough, you are also engaged to be married. Um uh, the wedding is still on, I hope. It it is, yeah, but yeah, consider consider this our dry run in a three hundred square foot apartment. <laughs> What um, what's it been like for you, Alec? Uh, just you know, you know, you haven't been in Hong Kong as long, but obviously uh, the constraints are, are obvious to all of us. I'm just sort of curious how you and your fiance have been doing. Yeah, no, I mean we're, we're doing great, but but obviously you know, aside from queuing for face masks and, and toilet paper and, and hand sanitizer on a on a regular basis, um, we are we are doing fine. I mean. It, it's funny you kind of go out into the street and and increasingly people are kind of spending more time outside albeit wearing masks it does kind of feel that a lot of people are sort of getting cabin fever and going outside anyway but you know on the on the kind of flip side a lot of the the local businesses are, are, are really struggling a lot of the social events have been have been cancelled you know so there, there's absolutely especially after the process is absolutely going to have like a big knock-on economic effects on Hong Kong. Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, and you look, for those of us with kids, it's been it's been unusual as well. I mean, my family went to Australia soon after the schools were announced to be closed. I haven't seen them in a month. And it's been the case for quite a few expats as well um, who have sort of either returned to their home countries or gone elsewhere. And, um, you know, and the, the working spouses sort of stayed in Hong Kong, which on the one hand has made it very peaceful in the apartment and allowed me to focus on work 
in a good way. But um, but of course, I miss them, and and I think it's been tough on a lot of families, including those obviously the majority of at least in my daughter's school. They said that um, 85% of the students are still in Hong Kong and doing some form of virtual learning. So I, I can only imagine in like in those households with kids trying to you know do this virtual learning and parents working from home, what it's been like. Alec alluded to some of the issues that are going on with small businesses, local businesses, restaurants, bars in particular, retail. We've seen some closures. Uh, big companies, Louis Vuitton, Prada, have are shutting down huge flagship stores in Hong Kong. And this is coming on the heels of the protests right, where yeah. they were already really hurting. What's give us a snapshot? What's what's yeah. what's happening here? Yeah, I mean, so I mean, we're getting some early forecasts for you know January, February numbers, and it looks bad. So right now, retail sales are projected to fall thirty percent year on year, which will be the lowest ever on record for Hong Kong. And keep in mind, you know, retail sales have been falling you know, for most of last year because of the anti-government protests. So this is really, really going to hurt. February tourist levels, uh, tourism levels are already going to be, it's looking to be really, really bad as well. So far, you know, retail, tourism, restaurants, you know, they, it looks like they're bearing the brunt of most of this economic pain. So I've seen one estimate from an industry association that's forecasting, you know, one out of 10 retailers in Hong Kong is going to shut down, you know, in the next six months, which is going to be a really big concern. So the next, um, you know, red flag for the economy then is going to be unemployment because a lot of these small retailers, small businesses, you know, they make up, you know, nearly half of jobs in the city. So that's going to be a really big economic hit for Hong Kong. And what's it been like in your neighborhood? I mean, I presume you've been yeah. popping out now and again for yeah. meals and drinks, but um, yeah, no, uh, how so, does it feel? Yeah. So, I mean, I think Alec sort of alluded to this. I mean, definitely three weeks ago, the streets are really quiet. People were just really, you know, sitting tight at home, trying to get more information. I think over the past week or so, I've, I have been going out. I've been noticing more people are out, particularly in the neighborhood restaurants. So people are going out, but they don't want to leave home to, you know, they don't want to be too far from home. So it's neighborhood places seem to be okay. Yeah, I mean, it's been a mixed bag where I am out in Kennedy Town um, on the west part of the, of the city and the island. And it's been, uh, you know, you walk by and there are some places that are packed, but then you walk by other places and there's just nobody in there. And you, I don't know what's sort of driving that, but you do feel like there is some massive sort of collapse out coming. And, um, you know, and then that trickles through into landlords and property is obviously a massive thing, which we'll talk about in a little bit. Alec, I mean, the travel thing obviously affects tourism, but it affects the finance industry here, too, which you you track pretty closely. You know, most bankers have not been able to get out and see their clients. Even you know, Thomson Reuters is really has locked down on um, you know any real non-essential trips into Hong Kong. I mean, this is a financial hub. How is this place functioning amid this virus and this lockdown? Well, it, well I mean, it's not. I mean, it, especially from the investment banking perspective. I mean, bankers are spending a lot of time with their kids at the moment and, and doing very little else. There's you know all, all deals are on hold. There's there's nothing really happening. You know, just a, a few kind of snapshots. There's, you know, bidding deadlines for Chinese buyers and auctions being extended. Uh, preparations for IPOs have slowed. And, uh, yeah, as you said, like major banks are restricted travel across the region. And those that have traveled to mainland China are being quarantined. Uh, one of the private funds were telling me that they've been quarantined for up to three weeks, which is kind of longer than the, than the standard two. Um, you know, but if you kind of think about it, I mean, when, you, when you're selling a bond, you know, that requires a lot of face-to-face -face meetings, which have been cancelled, uh, which has had a knock-on effect. I mean, the, the number of bonds issued from the region has fallen to its lowest number since 
2009, I think it was. Um, and just in terms of M&A, I think there's roughly $40 billion worth of deals. Where were we? It was kind of like mid-January, mid like late. It was like late last month, so the, the first two months of the year. And that's like a 60% drop from a year ago. So it's really taking its toll. What um, I mean, the bank, we've obviously been using video conferencing at Breaking Views, um, and we've found it to work quite well, amazingly. And it's been a pleasant surprise. The technology seems to have held up thanks to the awesome Internet speeds in Hong Kong, which have not been affected by the virus. But, um, but you know, we've been able to really crack on and, and do our thing. But, I mean, why are, I mean, are bankers doing any of that kind of video conferencing? Is it, are they, you know, what, what are you hearing from, from folks? I think there is, yeah. And if if you kind of go back to the, I mean, th- this is this is the thing, right? It kind of teaches you that you don't necessarily have to jump in on a on a plane and sit in first class and and stay in the Mandarin Oriental to to get a deal done. Um, you know, back in the, the financial crisis when you know when that hit and all of the the companies cut their costs, uh, a lot of companies realised that they didn't really have to do so much of that. You know, video video conferencing was 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 perfectly fine. But when it kind of gets to like the nitty gritty of, you know, if you're doing a deal, um, your compliance department will require you to kind of know your customer restrictions. Um, and if you're selling an IPO, you, you need to visit these sites and make sure that they are, you know, selling or, or producing what they say they are. Or they're selling, you know, these shops and are selling what they say, what they say they are. And, and that applies to like, you know, auditing when it comes to accounting and publishing quarterly results, which is why a lot of those have been delayed. I mean, it really has like, you know, it's, it's you kind of scratch the surface and there's a there's a lot that the that bankers and, and people in the financial services industry actually can't do anymore. Huh. Robin, what I mean, on the back to the retail front as well, I mean, Hong Kong is sort of notoriously not uh, e-commerce heavy as a city. And, you know, what has, you know, has that picked up? What what has been, I mean, obviously people use um, some Volibaba services to order stuff and but what has that changed? Has it created an impetus? To yeah, I mean, I, I certainly haven't seen um, official numbers on this, but anecdotally, for sure, um, you know, because a lot of people just prefer to stay home. Then, you know, when you do bulk purchases for groceries, for example, the major supermarket chains I've noticed have all had deliveries, um, like more and more um, frequent delivery services. So yeah, I think for sure this will be a good um, impetus. And, you know, things like food delivery, I can say I am a super VIP customer of Deliveroo <laughs> now. <laughs> so, you know, and then, you know, everywhere you go, you sort of see, you know, Uber Eats, Food Panda, Deliveroo, trucks everywhere. So it is, I mean, it, it does seem like, you know, online uh, e-commerce and, and food delivery is picking up a bit. What, um, obviously, the sort of up till now, sort of the emblematic story, I think, for Hong Kong has been the uh, the run on uh, toilet paper on, ba- on the back of some crazy rumor that, that the, you know, they were going to have to take all the paper and use it to make masks, which have also been in very short supply for different reasons. But, uh, well, I mean, are we still seeing lines in, in shops or? No, actually, I don't. I mean, last weekend um, I was in a parking shop, which is one of the big supermarket chains there, and it was totally stocked with toilet paper. So I think that situation has eased a bit. And I think everyone that decided to hoard toilet paper, just they do not have the space to fit any more toilet paper into their houses. What about price gouging? I don't know, Alec or either of you, you, I mean, just again, anecdotally, have you seen, I mean, the one example I saw was went into a store. This was probably a couple weeks ago now. And 
they were offering masks, but only they would give you a box of masks if you spent 2,500 Hong Kong dollars in the store, which is sort of a form of gouging, but maybe a form of capitalism, depending on how you look at it. You know, and, and, and $2,500 in Hong Kong is, you know, somewhere approaching 300 U.S. dollars. But I, have you guys seen any, any kind well, of crazy deals? The, de- crazy the masks, deal? for the mask itself. I mean, usually they retail for... 50 Hong Kong, so six, seven US dollars for a box of 50. I'm seeing, you know, pharmacies where they're selling packs of three masks for 40 Hong Kong. So it's almost 10 times the price. And we've seen some crackdowns on the mainland on this kind of practice, but not not in Hong Kong. No, I mean, Hong Kong is, I mean, it prides itself to be one of the freest economies (laughs) in the world. So this is something that the government will not step in. (laughs) Right. Alec, any uh, any stories out from your uh, your neck of the woods on uh, what's been going on? Not so much. I mean, that, you know, that there is kind of talk that, as Robin said, like a lot of these restaurants are going to close, but there's but there's kind of like very definitive dates as to as to when they're going to run out of money. I think a lot of them uh, just just based on staffing costs and, um, and 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 how much cash they have left and, and the loan interest they need to pay back on their on their debts kind of puts like June as, as like a, as a time where they could have kind of really run out of money and, and fall over. And you're seeing that, you know, across the neighborhood, like a lot of, a lot of businesses when I kind of walk outside in Shenguan are, are really, really struggling, you know, that the shops are empty. I ha- in terms of price gadget, I haven't really seen too much. It's been, I, I have been quite impressed just with the, cause I shop at a lot of these kind of local pharmacies opposed to supermarkets. And it's quite nice to see they They have been quite, you know, the, just in terms of sort of local solidarity, they haven't really been incredible, you know, hiking up the prices to, to nosebleed levels, which is which has been quite nice. But yeah. yeah, I have heard stories of it of it happening, especially with face masks. And what? Uh, speaking of uh, gouged prices, let's talk about Hong Kong real estate. You know, there has been a question about whether landlords would be forgiving. Um, we've seen some efforts from the banks, like HSBC. You know sort of restructuring loans and talking about different different options they have for small business loaners uh, small business owners the you know the question then becomes you know there's been a constant problem that most landlords both commercial and residential what they don't want to do is ever be seen to be cutting the price because yeah. this is a market that just always goes up what's happening at some point this is going to come to a pretty brutal head yeah no so there there has already been a few reports that you know a couple of the big very pricey realist uh commercial real estate you know the landlords are offering probably pretty steep discounts um so this is at the very top of the commercial property market but i think you're right i think they don't want to be seen like on paper, reduce the rent. And anecdotally, and this was during uh, the protests for last year, what I had been hearing is that a lot of landlords were sort of handing back cash subsidies sort of unofficially, you know, as sort of like a, an unofficial rent rebate for a lot of landlords. I can sort of imagine that to be happening these days now, especially with the coronavirus. There was, you know, pretty big news, I think a couple of weeks ago, where a couple of the big restaurant chains and um, big brands, they held some sort of strike to protest landlords not cutting rent. So there is a lot of public scrutiny on this front and whether or not. And I think a lot of the big real estate developers, especially after the the protests last year, they do want to be seen as doing some social good as well. Alec, I mean, I guess I'll sort of try and start wrapping it up. I just wonder, you know, obviously there's so many unknowns right now. 
um, that it's really hard to forecast anything. I mean, we see a lot of optimism. Well, we saw a lot of optimism up until about yesterday in the in the markets. Uh, the spread to Italy and what was happening there seems to have sort of shocked some investors into into selling. But I mean, what are you hearing in terms of how are people planning out 2020 um, from this part of the world from a you know from a, a deal perspective, from a you know a financing perspective? I mean, it's it's hard because the goalpost keeps moving. So, you know, the only real benchmark we have for this is is SARS back in 2003. And that, that was kind of really different in that the the kind of the national reaction from China at the time was 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 slower and people were slower to respond. Like now people realize the or they remember the severity of SARS They're, you know, like all of these kind of like measures have come into play very quickly, um, which, which means that the impact financially on pretty much everything is is going to be is going to be that much worse. But then, you know, like people had these, uh, uh, you know, kind of timings in terms of SARS and, and how that played out. Those are now kind of getting thrown out the window because it's it's become evident that this virus is is a lot more contagious than SARS. But we're sort of days away from people saying that this could be declared a, a, a pandemic, in which case, it, it, you know, things would, you know, think things would kind of get a lot, a lot worse very quickly. So, I mean, all this kind of chatter of, well, you know, we had this like quick sort of V-shaped recovery, like after SARS and, you know, things bounce back very quickly. This this kind of this isn't SARS and it, it's going it, to pe- people, <laughs> people genuinely don't know how it's going to play out. And the stock yeah. markets have been. You know, it, it, that's kind of very evident in, in the way the stock markets have reacted, right? I mean, the stock markets haven't, haven't really reacted to this until quite recently. And now people are starting to kind of really sort of factor in the potential damage. Um, and the reality is becoming a lot clearer. Yeah, that's a good point. It's an interesting point you make about SARS because, it, you know, Hong Kong in particular was heavily criticized for sort of complacency during SARS. The, you know, what, what ended up happening is it didn't affect it didn't have quite the effect, I don't think, um, financially and on all these industries. As a result of that, this time, sort of Hong Kong has swung the other way and become ultra conservative in the way it's handling everything. And that, to a certain extent, has has been why things have been hit so hard. We also have a budget coming up. Um, there is, I mean, some hope, some expectation. I mean, maybe not some optimism, but uh, that, you know, that there are going to be some relief measures. Hong Kong is is financially very well off from a public standpoint. I mean, Robin, are, are we expecting to hear any sort of, you know, social safety net kind of things for uh... I mean, Hong Kong is quite traditional when it comes to things like this. But having said that, I mean, I think, you know, the expectations are quite high, you know, for the government to sort of announce a pretty big stimulus package. So there have been a couple of uh, headline numbers thrown around. Um, we'll get the full number, you know, on Wednesday. Um, but I think, I mean, this is a really good chance for the government to really rally support um, you know, just given that the trust and support of the current Lama administration is so low. So I think everyone will be keeping a, an eye out on Wednesday for this. I think someone mentioned to me that uh, the, during SARS, one of the big investments was, on, was in the hiking trails, that they actually, you know, put, put some money into sprucing them up, which are getting good use. I was out on uh, Dragon's Back last weekend, and it was pretty crowded. Now, getting outside, I think, is probably top of everyone's list. But I don't know if there's other kinds of measures that would other sorts of sort of unintended benefits that might come out of this. Anything that you've kind of anything you'd like to see in terms of what 
Hong Kong should be doing with with, the, with some of the money that it's got stockpiled? I mean, I think, you know, it's quite clear that, you know, there needs to be more, you know, investment into health care, you know, because unemployment is for sure going to go up, like you said, some sort of social safety net. All right, we'll leave it there. Thanks very much, Robin. Thanks very much, Alec, for coming on the show. We extend our gratitude to our producers, Sharon Lamb and Freddie Joyner. Thanks to you, our listeners, for tuning in. Check us out every day on BreakingViews.com and subscribe to The Views Room and The Exchange on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, wherever you get your podcasts and share your opinions about the show. Join us again next week for another edition of The Views Room.